Good morning. First, if you'll give me just a second, I want to pray. Lord God, I pray that the words that come from my lips be carried to the ears of your congregation and transform them so that your desire and your passion for them is known. Amen. I have to admit, I'm very uncomfortable up here. Uh, I've done one little, little sermonette like 30 years ago. Since then, I've been able to avoid it. But I was asked to do a sermon today. Um, God calls us whether we're comfortable with it or not. He uses us, not on our terms, on his terms. I'm not a preacher, not a pastor, not an elder. I didn't go to seminary. I'm most comfortable working with puppets, where I'm behind a stage, not seen. I like to do cartoon voices. So I'm not out there. I promised my son in the back and my daughter that I wouldn't do them on purpose. Because they would just lose it. In fact, when I was asked by Alex in the sound booth, where did I want the, did I want to have this pulpit off to the side and wander around like we're kind of getting used to? I asked him, could I get a microphone outside the side door there and, and just preach from there? He laughed at me just like you did. Um, and he put me center stage. So there we are. God doesn't call us based on what we like to do. He calls us on, based on what he wants done. He calls us to bring his message forward. And that's what I'm hoping to do here. Over the past few weeks, we've been learning from the book of Acts. We've heard incredible accounts of Jesus' final talk with his disciples before he ascended into heaven and started his work building us a home. We heard him give his disciples instructions, stay together, go to Jerusalem. I'm going to send my spirit there to come upon you. He did. Then we heard the account of Pentecost, when his disciples began professing the spirit, professing Jesus gift to us and how it was translated to all that were there beyond the disciples control we heard about a miraculous healing on the steps of the temple last week where a man was blessed with the gift of walking again he hadn't known. 
God does through his spirit what people can't. Now, we get a couple of stories. Uh, Two significantly different events are described within a matter of about 20 verses. We start at Acts 4. And, and we hear what can happen when people respond to the Spirit's prompting. Acts 4, starting at, at verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each of them as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, he was a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This seems to have been commonplace in the, in the very earliest of believers in Jesus' resurrection and his gift of life. I envision a scene as people would come forward and lay a pile of gold at the feet of the disciples, and the disciples would distribute it amongst their the congregation as, as they saw people's need. Keep them filled. I kind of imagine off to the side a bunch of people would, would say, great job! Good going, Joe! You know, uh, encouraging them the way that they were being encouraged. Trying to build them up and show their appreciation for the gifts that they were being given. It's kind of an awesome thought. I think Barnabas, Joseph, would have been really, really uncomfortable with that. I think he would have turned back to those who were patting him on the back, trying to give him high fives. And he'd say, look, Jesus gave us everything that he is. I just sold some property. It's nothing in comparison. Praise the Lord, not me. The, all I did was sell some stuff. When I was asked to speak, I thought, this part of the passage was why. 
I'm on the trustee board, and I thought maybe they're hinting that we need a, a sermon on stewardship. That was reinforced when I was given the, the subject for my speech, generosity. How can I speak to generosity when I fail so much? I am not the most generous person. I always tend to think about the outcome. I'm a planner by nature and not an actor. I don't live in action like I should. And I thought that's where I was going. But then I read the second half of the passage that I was called to preach on. Um, before we read that passage, I've got a few questions here just for you to ponder and think about. Do I like being praised for the good things that I do? Do I like being acknowledged positively? Do I want to be remembered for the bad things that I do? No, is my answer. How do I feel when I do something good and nobody notices? Do I decide what to do based on what reaction I anticipate? Why? Am I thinking about me when I'm doing anything for Christ? David, a couple weeks ago, talked about the fact that the God of the New Testament is the same God as was present in the Old Testament. He is, He's unchanged. He's not only our Savior, He's also our judge. He, he, he knows that we are guilty. And He knows that there's a sentence that needed to be executed, literally. And He knew that we were unworthy to fulfill His demands. So. He himself took on that role. In Matthew 5.17, Jesus said, I do not think, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. God the Father is always God the Father. Jesus is always Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is and always has been the Holy Spirit. God is God forever. His standards don't change. Neither does his knowledge of us. The story of how God brought down the walls of Jericho is pretty common in Sunday school. 
when I think Sunday school teachers enjoy it when they get to do the, the class because they get to build a little tower out of these cardboard bricks and then they get to have their class march around it and then scream at it and somebody gets to kick it over. Pretty cool. That's where the story usually ends. But that's not where the story ends. God had demands there. He said, go into the city, collect all the gold and silver that you can find, and bring it for me. That was his demand in, in victory. We have the story then of a man named Achan. It's, it's in Joshua 7, verse 19 is the starting point of the story. If you want to look it up, you can look it up. But the short part of the story is Achan saw a, a cloak, extremely valuable, extremely beautiful, and he found a pile of gold and silver too. And he's like, mm, you know, there's a whole bunch of it already piled up over there. Nobody will notice if I keep this. And so he went and hid it in his tent. He buried it underground in, the, in his tent. And the Holy Spirit came to Joshua and said, look, you need to go to Achan's and find out what's going on in his heart. Because his heart is not with me. Joshua did that. Achan confessed. He said, yeah, I, I took God's property. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Send your, send your men to my tent and get it all back and we're, we're square, right? No, sin was in his heart. He was separate. He, he only confessed because he was caught. That's the way we are a lot of times. We only confess when we're caught. God wants us to be on, in, on the same page as him all the time. So, as a punishment, this was the very beginning of the Israelite country. God demanded justice. Achan and his family and everything that was related to him was killed. Everything was buried under a huge pile of rocks. Why am I telling you this? This isn't the fun part of the story. No, I'm telling you this because when God was starting a country to be his, there was no room for sin. There was no room for influences that were counter to his will. And in Acts, we're finding the same thing. We, we, find, we turn now to the second half of the story, which... Actually, I'm a lot more comfortable with because I like the series on We're a Messy Church. 
because I'm a mess. And I'm not the kind of holier-than-holy person that feels good proposing that and being presented as that. I'm broken, and I'm a sinner. And in Acts 5, verses 1 through 11, we hear another story. The passage reads, But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back some of the proceeds and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. He figured that would probably be good enough because it was a big pile of money already and he was putting more on it. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself a portion of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not all remain your own? And after you sold it, was that not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And a great fear came upon all who heard of it. That's scary. The young man rose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in. Hey, where's Ananias? Not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yeah, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young man came back in, they found her dead, and they buried her beside her husband. And a great fear came upon the whole church, and upon all those who heard these things. Why are these two passages, like, nested right next to each other? One all happy and good and celebrate, celebrate. The other is like, what is going on? I think it comes because we are still sinners. We still think first about our needs and then about what God is demanding. We think about us first. We plan for contingencies. I think one of the things that Ananias and his wife Sapphira were thinking about was, okay, we just saw Jesus 
with all his followers, and then he went to trial, he got executed, now we're told he's alive again. And we've seen, historically, zealots. People who are passionate for God. And, and espousing God, being followed by masses of people, getting going. One thing goes wrong. The group falls apart. Those that gave the most are most destitute now. Is that what we're coming to? It was the lack of trust in what God was doing that was the sin. It goes back to the sin, original sin in the garden. The sin was not pulling down the fruit. It was not trusting who God is and what he said was true. We need to trust God. Whether we're gifted with talents, musically, or financially, or being able to speak in public, or hold a puppet above your head for a half an hour. And then getting a, a cramp later. But, you know, it's not an easy position. Um, but God calls us. We need to do for him. We do not do for us. Simply put, we need to be thinking about God's mission. And not our role in it even. Just that, you know, we'll be there when he calls. That's why I'm standing up here. He called, although I'm uncomfortable. I, I want to do what God wants me to do. That's my driving force. It's not comfortable. But I praise God that he gives me strength. He is why my legs, although shaking, the top half of my body isn't shaking. My voice isn't cracking as much as I thought it would. God calls us to have integrity when acting for him. We've heard it said that integrity is what you do in the... When what you do in private matches what you do in public. That's what God wants from us. He wants us to act for him in public and in private. Everywhere we are, he calls on us to be his. Let's join together in prayer. Father, Thank you for life. Thank you for calling us to be your children. Thank you for giving us this community in which we can live and thrive and grow closer to you. Christ Jesus, thank you for showing us what it is to be abundantly generous and hold nothing back for the benefit of those who you love not just those who love you. 
Thank you for taking our brokenness to the cross and saving us. Holy Spirit, thank you for coming to us and dwelling in us that we may grow and respond to you, to the Father and the Son, with integrity and passion for your people. Amen.